0: Chapters six to ten of, of The Shortness of Life by Lucius Annius Seneca, translated by Aubrey Stuart. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six. When Livius Drusus, a vigorous and energetic man, brought forward bills for new laws and radical measures of the gracious pattern, being the centre of a vast mob of all the peoples of Italy, and seeing no way to solve the question since he was not allowed to deal with it as he wished and yet was not free to throw it up after having once taken part in it complained bitterly of his life which had been one of unrest from the very cradle and said we are told that he was the only person who never had any holidays even when he was a boy indeed while he was still under age and wearing the protector he had the courage to plead the cause of accused persons in court "'and to make use of his influence so powerfully "'that it is well known that in some cases his exertions gained a verdict. "'Where would such precocious ambition stop? "'You may be sure that one who showed such boldness as a child "'would end by becoming a great best both in public and in private life. "'It was too late for him to complain that he had had no holidays, "'when from his boyhood he had been a firebrand and a nuisance in the courts.' It is a stock question whether he committed suicide, for he fell by a sudden wound in the groin, and some doubted whether his death was caused by his own hand, though none disputed its having happened most seasonably. It would be superfluous to mention more who, while others us, taught them, the happiest of men have themselves borne true witness to their own feelings, and have loathed all that they have done for all the years of their lives yet by these complaints they have effected no alteration either in others or in themselves for after these words have escaped them their feelings revert to their accustomed frame by Hercules that life of you great men even though it should last for more than a thousand years is still a very short one those vices of yours would swallow up any extent of time no wonder if this our ordinary span which though nature hurries on can be enlarged by common sense soon slips away from you for you do not lay hold of it, or hold it back, and try to delay the swiftest of all things, but you let it pass as though it were a useless thing, and you could supply its place. CHAPTER seven. Among these, I reckon, in the first place, those who devote their time to nothing but drinking and debauchery. For no men are busied more shamefully. The others, although the glory which they pursue is but a counterfeit, still deserve some credit for their pursuit of it you may tell me of misers, of passionate men, of men who hate and who even wage war without a cause. Yet all such men sin like men, but the sin of those who are given up to gluttony and lust is a disgraceful one. Examine all the hours of their lives. Consider how much time they spend in calculation, how much in plotting, how much in fear, how much in giving and receiving flattery, how much in entering into recognisances for themselves or for others, how much in banquets, which indeed become a serious business you will see that they are not allowed any breathing time, either by their pleasures or their pains. Finally, all are agreed that nothing, neither eloquence nor literature, can be done properly by one who is occupied with something else, and nothing can take deep root in a mind which is directed to some other subject, and which rejects whatever you try to stuff into it. No man knows less about living than a businessman. There is nothing about which it is more difficult to gain knowledge. Other arts have many folk everywhere who profess to teach them. Some of them can be so thoroughly learned by mere boys that they are able to teach them to others. But one's whole life must be spent in learning how to live and, which may perhaps surprise you more, one's whole life must be spent in learning how to die. Many excellent men have freed themselves from all hindrances, have given up riches, business and pleasure and have made it their duty to the very end of their lives to learn how to live. And yet the larger portion of them leave this life confessing that they do not yet know how to live. And still less know how to live as wise men believe me it requires a great man and one who is superior to human frailties not to allow any of his time to be filched from him and therefore it follows that his life is a very long one because he devotes every possible part of it to himself no portion lies idle or uncultivated or in another man's power for he finds nothing worthy of being exchanged for his time, which he husbands most grudgingly. He therefore had time enough, whereas those who gave up a great part of their lives to the people of necessity had not enough. Yet you need not suppose that the latter were not sometimes conscious of their loss. Indeed you will hear most of those who are troubled with great prosperity, and every now and then cry out amid their hosts of clients, their pleadings in court, and their other honourable troubles, I am not allowed to live my own life. Why is he not allowed? Because all those who call upon you to defend them take you away from yourself. How many of your days have been spent by that defendant, by that candidate for office, by that old woman who is weary with burying her heirs, by that man who pretends to be ill in order to excite the greed of those who hope to inherit his property, by that powerful friend of yours who uses you to swell his train, not to be his friend? Balance your account and run over all the days of your life. You will see that only a very few days, and only those which were useless for any other purpose have been left to you. He who has obtained the fascists for which he longed, is eager to get rid of them, and is constantly saying, When will this year be over? Another exhibits public games, and once would have given a great deal for the chance of doing so, but now, when, says he, shall I escape from this? Another is an advocate who is fought for in all the courts, and who draws immense audiences, who crowd all the foreign to far a great distance, then they can hear him. When, says he, will vacation time come? Every man hurries through his life, and suffers from a yearning for the future and a weariness of the present. But he who disposes of all his time for his own purposes, who arranges all his days as though he were arranging the plan of his life, neither wishes for nor fears the morrow, for what new pleasure can any hour now bestow upon him? He knows it all, and has indulged in it all, even to society. Fortune may deal with the rest as she will. His life is already safe from her. Such a man may gain something, but cannot lose anything. And indeed, he can only gain anything in the same way as one who is already glutted and filled, and gets some extra food, which he takes, although he does not want it. You have no grounds, therefore, for supposing that anyone has lived long, because he has wrinkles or grey hairs. Such a man has not lived long, but has only been long alive why would you think that a man has voyaged much if a fierce gale had caught him as soon as he left his port and he had been driven round and round the same place continually by a succession of winds blowing from opposite quarters such a man has not travelled much he has only been much tossed about chapter eight i am filled with wonder when i see some men asking of us for their time and those who are asked for it most willing to give it both parties consider the object for which the time is given, but neither of them thinks of the time itself, as though in asking for this one asked for nothing, and in giving it one gave nothing. We play with what is the most precious of all things. Yet it escapes men's notice, because it is an incorporeal thing, and because it does not come before our eyes, and therefore it is held very cheap, nay hardly any value whatever is put upon it. Men set the greatest store upon presents or pensions and hire out their work, their services or their care in order to gain them. No one values time, they give it much more freely as though it costs nothing. Yet you will see these same people clasping the knees of their physician as suppliants when they are sick and in present peril of death, and if threatened with a capital charge willing to give all that they possess in order that they may live. So inconsistent are they. Indeed, if the number of every man's future years could be laid before him, as we can lay that of his past years, how anxious those who found that they had but few years remaining would be to make the most of them. Yet it is easy to arrange the distribution of a quantity, however small, if we know how much there is. What you ought to husband most carefully is that which may run short you know not when, Yet you have no reason to suppose that they do not know how dear a thing time is. They are wont to say to those whom they especially love that they are ready to give them a part of their own years. They do give them, and know not that they are giving them, but they give them in such a manner that they themselves lose them without the others gaining them. They do not, however, know whence they obtain their supply, and therefore they are able to endure the waste of what is not seen. Yet no one will give you back your years. No one will restore them to you again. Your life will run its course when once it has begun, and will neither begin again or efface what it has done. It will make no disturbance. It will give you no warning of how fast it flies. It will more move silently on. It will not prolong itself at the command of a king or at the wish of a nation. As it started on its first day, so it will run. It will never turn aside, never delay. What follows then? Why? You are busy, but life is hurrying on. Death will be here some time or other, and you must attend to him, whether you will or no. CHAPTER NINE Can anything be mentioned which is more insane than the ideas of leisure of those people who boast of their worldly wisdom? They live laboriously in order that they may live better. They fit themselves out for life at the expense of life itself and cast their thoughts a long way forwards. Yet postponement is the greatest waste of life. It wrings day after day from us, and takes away the present by promising something hereafter. There is no such obstacle to true living as waiting, which loses today while it is depending on the morrow. You dispose of that which is in the hand of fortune, and you let go that which is in your own. Whither are you looking, whither are you stretching forward? Everything future is uncertain, Live now, straight away. See how the greatest of bards cries to you and sings in wholesome verse as low inspired with celestial fire. The best of wretched mortals' days is that which is the first to fly. Why do you hesitate, says he? Why do you stand back? Unless you seize it, it will have fled. And even if you do seize it, it will still fly. Our swiftness in making use of our time ought therefore to vie with the swiftness of time itself and we ought to drink of it as we should of a fast-running torrent, which will not be always running. The poet, too, admirably satirises our boundless thoughts, when he says not the first age, but the first day. Why are you careless and slow while time is flying so fast, and why do you spread out before yourself a vision of long months and years, as many as your greediness requires? He talks with you about one day, and that a fast, fleeting one. There can, then, be no doubt that the best days are those which fly fast for wretched, that is, for busy mortals, whose minds are still in their childhood when old age comes upon them, and they reach it unprepared and without arms to combat it. They have never looked forward, they have all of a sudden stumbled upon old age, they never noticed that it was stealing upon them day by day. That conversation or reading or deep thought deceives travellers and they find themselves at their journey's end before they knew that it was drawing near. So in this fast and never-ceasing journey of life, which we make at the same pace, whether we are asleep or awake, busy people never notice that they are moving till they are at the end of it. Chapter 10. If I chose to divide this proposition into separate steps, supported by evidence, Many things occurred to me by which I could prove that the lives of busy men are the shortest of all. Fabianus, who was none of your lecture-room philosophers, but one of the true antique pattern, used to say, We ought to fight against the passions by main force, not by skirmishing and upset their line of battle by a home charge, not by inflicting trifling wounds. I do not approve of dallying with sophisms. They must be crushed, not merely scratched. Yet in order that sinners may be confronted with their errors, they must be taught, and not merely mourned for. Life is divided into three parts, that which has been, that which is, and that which is to come. Of these three stages, that which we are passing through is brief, that which we are about to pass is uncertain, and that which we have passed is certain. This it is over which fortune has lost her rights, and which can fall into no other man's power. And this is what busy men lose, for they have no leisure to look back upon the past, and even if they had, they take no pleasure in remembering what they regret. They are, therefore, unwilling to turn their minds to the contemplation of ill-spent time, and they shrink from reviewing a course of action whose faults become glaringly apparent when handled a second time, although they were snatched at when we were under the spell of immediate gratification. No one, unless all his acts have been submitted to the infallible censorship of his own conscience, willingly turns his thoughts back upon the past. He who has ambitiously desired, haughtily scorned, passionately vanquished, treacherously deceived, greedily snatched, or prodigally wasted much, must needs fear for his own memory. Yet this is a holy and consecrated part of our time, beyond the reach of all human accidents, removed from the dominion of fortune, and which cannot be disquieted by want, fear, or attacks of sickness, this can neither be troubled nor taken away from one. We possess it for ever undisturbed. A present consists only of single days, and those two taken one hour at a time. But all the days of past times appear before us when bidden, and allow themselves to be examined and lingered over, albeit busy men cannot find time for so doing. It is the privilege of a tranquil and peaceful mind to review all the parts of its life. But the minds of busy men are like animals under the yoke, and cannot bend aside or look back. Consequently their life passes away into vacancy, and as you do no good however much you may pour into a vessel which cannot keep or hold what you put there, so also it matters not how much time you give men if it can find no place to settle in, but leaks away through the chinks and holes of their minds present time is very short, so much so that to some it seems to be no time at all, for it is always in motion, and runs swiftly away. It ceases to exist before it comes, and can no more brook delay than can the universe or the host of heaven, whose unresting movement never lets them pause on their way. Busy men, therefore, possess present time alone, that being so short that they cannot grasp it, and when they are occupied with many things, they lose even this end of chapters 6 to 10